Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. So my parents, uh, my dad's a pastor, uh, and my parents have really, uh, over the course of when I was growing up, had always instilled in us the importance of giving. That was something that they believed in. And when my, uh, my dad and my mom, when they were in their 20s, my dad started uh, pastoring churches. And the first church he pastored was in a little small town called Hawkinsville in Georgia. And the church had about 15 people in the entire congregation. So it was his first opportunity. And so you can guess with 15 people... Money was not exactly flowing freely around there. So my dad actually had to work a second job. In addition to being the pastor, he also worked at a bakery making donuts. He would get up at like 4 in the morning and go and bake donuts, which is funny because my dad, I don't know if I've ever seen him bake anything at home, but somehow he got a job baking donuts. And I wasn't born yet, but my parents had told me stories about that, and they said that that it was pretty difficult. In fact, they said some nights all they had to eat for dinner were the leftover donuts from the bakery, whatever it didn't sell. But the thing I love about my parents was they kept giving. They kept tithing and they kept giving their time to the church and they kept serving. And as they did that, they just kept trusting the Lord. Well, one day, this pastor from another town, he and his wife drove up and their station wagon was filled with groceries. And they came up to my parents' house and they said, all I know is the Lord told me to buy these groceries and bring them to you today. But what they didn't know was my parents literally had nothing in their cabinets. It was completely bare. But God had sent them to fill my parents' pantry, and he did. He filled it to an abundance. And I always remember that story because it reminds me And has reminded our family throughout the years that God never forgets generosity and giving. And he always brings refreshing. See, money in the Bible is never about hoarding. It's just a tool. It's a tool we use for God's kingdom. So it's not bad. It's a good thing if it's used in the right way. And we're always reminded in the Bible that generosity brings blessing. And the more you give, the more blessings come. And those blessings look different. It's not always money, sometimes it's groceries. But the point is, is God will always give back when you've invested in his kingdom. And that's been for me a a lesson that I've learned and tried to apply in my life because I saw God do that in theirs. So kind of leading on that thought tonight, you know, kind of some of the challenges they were facing thinking that. I have a question to start tonight, and the question is, Do you ever feel overwhelmed by life? I know, probably not the most poignant and, you know, inventive question I could ask. But it is a real question that we all kind of face. It's really not hard to feel that way. I don't know if you guys have read a lot of news lately, but you really can just peruse the headlines and come away depressed. Because every headline tells you how the world is about to end. Either there's some kind of war that's about to start or... Artificial intelligence is going to take your job or the, the recession is going to take your money 
or whichever side of the government you hate is going to take your freedom, just to fill in the blank. Uh, the crime's up, the morale's down, basically just everything they, te- they, they put out there on the headlines is all about how bad it's going to be. It actually reminds me of how of this uh, children's book that I read when I was a kid, and maybe you even read it to your kids. It was called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day, which I think is a perfect title to a book because I feel that way sometimes. I wanted to read you the first lines of the book, and this is what Alexander says. This is how the book begins. I think it's perfect. It says, I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. When I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on a skateboard and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. (laughs) And his day just gets worse from there. (laughs) In fact, whenever, uh, when you read the book with each section where he he says something bad that happens, he he ends it by saying, I think I'm going to move to Australia. (laughs) And that's the perfect illustration for life, right? It doesn't matter whether you're 8 or 88, that describes life sometimes. You know that feeling you get when you crank your car and it makes that sound it's not supposed to make or it puts that light up that it's not supposed to light? That feeling or the feeling you get when the doctor's office calls you back and assures you, no, it really is necessary for you to come in to hear the results of the test. Or it's that feeling you get in, at 3 a.m. when you get a phone call because you know nothing good ever get, you never get a good call. No one ever calls you at 3 a.m. to tell you, I just love you. <laughs> so you know it's bad. And you just wish sometimes you could move to Australia and leave it all behind because you feel stuck. Actually, it reminds me a little bit of my first experience on a roller coaster. Now, see, here's the thing. I don't like heights. You might even say I have a fear of heights, but I actually think, I like to say it this way, I don't have a fear of heights, I have a fear of falling to my death, which I think is a completely rational way to look at things. When you put it that way, it makes sense, right? It makes the people who like heights kind of weird. I don't like falling to my death, so I try to avoid those situations. So that's why I avoided roller coasters. My wife, though, we, well, so we were dating as teenagers, and she thought it would be this, a dandy of an idea to coerce me to ride a roller coaster. We were at Six Flags in Atlanta. And uh, she thought that even though I had survived 16 years of not riding roller coasters, she thought I was missing out on something in life. And I didn't think I was missing out on anything. But we were dating, so I said yes. You know, when you date as a teenager, you say Say yes to doing things like riding roller coasters when you normally wouldn't. And so they had this wooden roller coaster at, the, uh, at Six Flags in Atlanta called the Georgia Cyclone. Now, why someone thought it was a good idea to, ta- to name something that takes you high in the air at incredible speeds and name it after a tornado, I have no idea. Why would we name it after destruction? We're already putting our life on the line as it is. Tornadoes are not friendly. I don't understand. They should have come up with a better name. So I get up the nerve to drive this death trap. And I sit in it and I lower the bar. And I kind of, it clicks in. And I kind of think to myself, it's not too bad. You know? What was I worried about? I kind of chuckled at myself. I've been kind of goofy about that. Come on, this this is pretty neat. And then we started to move. (laughs) 
And roller coasters make that really awful sound when you're riding up that first incline. It's that click, 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 click. It's like it's counting down to your doom. It's just click, 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 click. And I, and, I, and I get the sudden urge as we're going up the incline to think, you know, I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> and I don't really know what to do about it at the moment because I didn't see a good way out of the situation. Jumping out didn't seem like it was actually going to be any better at that moment. So I'm just trapped in the middle of this thing. And I realize I'm trapped for the duration of the ride. Click, 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 click. And we crested the top of that thing. And from there, it was like four minutes of sheer terror and mayhem as that thing <laughs> slung me from one side of that seat to the other, up, down, all around. And I just wanted to get out of there. And I very calmly told my, my wife, my girlfriend at the time, Stacy, I told her, I want to get off. Now, if you ask her, and she may be a liar, I don't know. <laughs> but if you ask, it's really for you to decide. You got to know her. If you ask her, she would say I did more, I was actually sounded more like, get me off of this thing, I'm not riding another one, over and over and over again. I actually screamed like a 10-year-old, oh, I would say I screamed like a 10-year-old girl, but that would be insulting to 10-year-old girls because they don't scream like I did on that roller coaster. And mercifully, it came to a stop and I wobbled off. And I still hate roller coasters. But I think roller coasters in life actually have a lot in common. You ever have those moments where life feels fantastic, birds are chirping, sun is shining, everything feels great, and then it's like you can hear click, 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 and you know life's about to take you for a ride you didn't want to sign up for. You're about to do some loop-to-loops at a speed that is not right to do, and you realize, I want to get off of this thing, but you can't. You're in the middle. The storm clouds roll in and it gets dark. You know, I actually thought that the Easter graphic we had this year is a great example of that. We had the dark clouds with the lighted cross in the middle. It's a good example because sometimes we feel like our world is just full of dark clouds. And we wonder, how do we get through this? Because when you're in the middle, like when I was on the roller coaster, just trapped by that bar, I wasn't so sure I was going to get out of that. And sometimes in life, when bad things are happening, the storms roll in, we have that same feeling like maybe, maybe I'm not going to make it through this time because it just doesn't seem like it. So what's the way out when you feel stuck in the middle? Well, our world offers a lot of really bad ideas. If you listen to what our world suggests you do, you're really not going to make any progress. In fact, there's really only one way to deal with being in the middle of a difficult situation, and that's faith in Jesus. But when you hear the word faith, sometimes you have some reservation surface. You might begin to ask yourself, like, how do you have faith when life feels out of control? How do you believe something when the evidence points in the opposite direction? Or, or how, do you, how do you have faith that remains when the situation seems to never change? And the problem is, is that sometimes it's the way we think about faith that causes us to miss out on, on what faith in Jesus really means. In fact, one author put it this way. I, th I thought it was a great way of saying it. He said, faith is only as valid as its object. You could have tremendous faith in very thin ice and drown. 
You could have very little faith in very thick ice and be perfectly secure. See, faith isn't about our greatness. It's about the greatness of the God we trust. So making it through difficult situations and having faith to believe is not dependent on our abilities, but it's dependent on God's ability. It's on his power. So life can throw a lot at you, but it's in those moments you have to remind yourself that faith isn't an exercise in imagining better or thinking more interesting thoughts. But faith is actually about focusing on the one person and trusting in the one person who has the power and ability to actually change your circumstances, who has the ability to help you. See, what matters most is God. In fact, I like how N.T. Wright put it. He said, it's not great faith you need, it's faith in a great God. That's what makes the difference. So I want to look at a story from the life of Jesus. It begins in the book of Mark, chapter 4. It actually was in today's reading in Bible 365, but in the book of Luke. And we'll start at chapter 4, verse 35. It says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. So this section of the chapter picks up right after Jesus had been speaking and teaching for all day. So it was a long day, and at this point, it actually had already gone into evening, and he was ready to move on to the next spot because they had more things to do. So he told the disciples, let's get in the boats, and let's go to the other side. They were on the Sea of Galilee. So they hopped in a fishing boat, and they set off. Now, boats at night can be a little unsettling for me. I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise ship at night in the middle of the ocean. It's just blackness all around. It's kind of different. But these guys were very secure because they had been on the Sea of Galilee for years and years and years. They were very accomplished fishermen and sailors. So they seemed to be fine with it. So they set off. And as the trip progressed, Jesus falls asleep. He kind of reclines on a cushion and just goes to sleep. You know that feeling you have when you're, uh, you have a bunch of people at your house and they're there for a really long time and then they all leave and you just crash onto the couch and don't move for seven hours? I imagine that's how Jesus felt at that moment. I think that's the kind of tired that he had. He was exhausted. And as Jesus is sleeping, though, a storm appears. Now, the Sea of Galilee is actually well known for storms that just come out of nowhere. It's not an uncommon thing. They can just pop up and they can be really, really big storms that just seem to appear out of nothing. And the boat they were in, the fishing boats they used on the Sea of Galilee had these low sides to them. So when the large waves started up in the sea, it easily topped over the edge of the boat so that the boat started to flood. And as the boat began to sink, so did the disciples' faith. They actually woke Jesus up and they, they said to him, they said in Mark 4.38, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now look at the contrast between Jesus and the disciples. The disciples are panicking, freaking out, and Jesus is sleeping. When I was a baby, actually, my family and I were in Savannah because that's where my grandparents lived. And I actually slept through Hurricane David there. When I was a baby, and my wife would say I still could sleep through a hurricane if necessary. I don't know if any of you are like that. But, you know, a baby can sleep through a hurricane because a baby doesn't know danger. It doesn't understand. It doesn't know hurricanes. It's not worried about those things. And when Jesus is sleeping in this moment, I think it's evidence of his complete and total trust. That when he said we're going to the other side, that's where we're going. It's kind of reminiscent of this psalm. 
Psalm 4.8 that says, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. So he had told his disciples they were going to the other side, and that's what he knew they were going to do. But the disciples did not share that opinion of things. In fact, the disciples seemed to think getting to the other side was going to be a pipe dream. I mean, their thoughts matched how I felt in that roller coaster about midway through. This isn't happening. It's farewell world. That's kind of how they were thinking. These guys, and if you think about it, remember, these guys had a lot of experience on the Sea of Galilee. They had fished there for years and years. So if they saw a storm that made them panic like that, then it means it was a really bad storm. Because they had seen terrible storms before. This wasn't just a simple pop-up. This was something very serious. But we can't really be too hard on these guys right now without acknowledging how we sometimes react in similar situations. I know I can't. I can't sit up here and judge them when I know what I do. In fact, it, it, as, the, um, as the, the boat sinks, a lot of times our fear rises. You know, when we're in the middle of a problem, the worse it gets, the more fear we have, the more our emotions begin to change. Our emotions tend to move all over the place. This is something that C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer, he wrote about in his book, Mere Christianity. And he said, now faith is the art of holding on to the things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. Now, I have a problem sometimes doing that because my moods will begin to change based on what I'm dealing with. Case in point, a few years ago, we went for what should have been a routine checkup. And was with my son, we went for a routine checkup. Everything seemed fine. And then we got a big surprise. You ever gotten one of those bills from the doctor or at least like ex, es, uh, estimation of bills from the doctors where you think they made a rounding error? And you're like, I don't think you're supposed to carry that many ones when you're adding. I think you added several more in there. We got one of those kinds of bills. And it was definitely more than we could afford. And uh, it wasn't a life or death thing, but it was still something that was necessary. And I remember getting into the car and we're driving home. And I remember just thinking to myself, I don't know how we're going to do this. And I'm trying not to freak out my son. And I'm trying to, but I'm also inside freaking out. And I'm thinking, I don't know what's going to happen. I start running through, you know how we do, we run through all the potential ideas and nothing seemed plausible. I was like, this isn't going to work out. The math just doesn't add up. And what happened was, is the more my emotions went down, the less faith I had. It was actually impacting my faith because it was, my faith was being tied to how I was feeling. And so I'm sitting there thinking, this is not going to happen. And then the faith that I had is just going down along with it. I remember talking to my wife and, you know, to her credit in that conversation, you know, it's a good thing when you have a spouse who can help you in those moments. And she reminded me of ways in which God had helped us in the past. And she just said, you know, I believe that God's going to help us again. And it was that reorienting of my thoughts that really helped me in that moment because I stopped focusing on my emotions and started focusing what, what Jesus had done and what Jesus could do. And the truth is God provided for us incredibly so that the needs were met 
And it was a reminder that I have to keep my, when I want to have faith, I have to keep my emotions in check. Because feelings should never determine what we believe about Jesus. Unfortunately, they often do. So the disciples' faith fell as their fear went up. And when storm clouds gather, it's really easy to focus on the negative thoughts that sometimes accompany them. And, and you begin to wonder, like the disciples did, do, does, he, does Jesus even care? That's what they said. Teacher, don't you care we're about to drown? And we, we kind of have that same thing. We may not say it that exact way, but maybe we say, God, don't you care that this is happening? And we wonder in that moment, why doesn't God do that? But think about it for just a moment. What's changed in that moment? Think to the disciples' story. When they're on the boat and they're saying, don't you care? What changed in that moment? You see, the Jesus that was sleeping in the boat was the same Jesus who had been healing people, who had been teaching people. He had not changed. What changed was their emotions. And they were allowing their feelings to be the leader of their faith. And when that happens, our faith fails. So I imagine this story, you know, they're waking Jesus up. And I imagine he's kind of opening his eyes. He's getting his bearings. He's looking around all of us. And he's just being bombarded with these 12 guys just yelling at him. It kind of reminds me of when you had young kids. And you kind of, in the middle of the night, you kind of open one eye, sort of bleary eye. And you look and this little tiny face is yelling at you about a nightmare they just had. That's kind of how I imagine Jesus being woken up and kind of having to get his bearings. But then he did something pretty remarkable. In verse 39, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. You could actually... If you'll let me translate this phrase, shut up and don't make another sound. That's how, that's how powerful that word was. In fact, Jesus had even used the same wording. He used the same words when he spoke to demons and told them to be quiet. It's the same thing. Some of us wish we could say that to our kids, right? Shut up and don't make another sound. Like screaming like a mad person and they're just still going at it. But when Jesus spoke that word, the wind and the waves instantly stopped. Not even a whimper. Completely calm. See, he did something in that moment that it wasn't just, it's very important to understand this miracle because this miracle demonstrated something very, very important about who Jesus is. It demonstrated that in that moment, Jesus did something that only God could do. Only the creator of the universe could do what Jesus did which means Jesus is God. You see, the sea in, um, in ancient times, it was a symbol people used for chaos. The Jewish people often used the sea to uh, represent evil. That was how they saw it. They saw it as the realm of evil and bad, and that's how they used it as a symbol. In fact, in Revelation, you might remember John when he describes the new heaven and new earth. He says there's no sea in it. Well, it doesn't mean there's not water there, but what he means is there's no chaos. So when Jesus spoke that word, what he did was he proved not only that he's, he's God, but he proved that he has the power to tame chaos and evil itself. That even in the midst of any chaotic situation, he can speak and it can stop. 
And then Jesus turned to his disciples in verse 40 and 41. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The reality is that we have to answer that same question. Who is this? Because that answer makes a big, big difference in our life. The answer is that Jesus is God. Because only God could do what he did. So if that's the case, then the only answer is we have to put our faith in Jesus. In fact, one commentator noted about this passage. He said, the crux of discipleship is located here. They needed him to do things. He wanted them to trust him. His very presence amongst them was all they needed to survive. See, Jesus wasn't asking his disciples to have a general belief about the supernatural or a general idea that miracles could happen. When he said, where's your faith, what he meant was, why aren't you trusting me in this moment? He wanted them to put their confidence in him so that when he said, we're going to the other side, they could have confidence, we're going to the other side. And nothing's going to stop that. He wanted them to believe that what he says he can do. And that they can believe it with a rock-solid faith because that storm is no match for God's power. But that's the challenge we face, right? We hit a storm figuratively in our life and we forget about the character of the God who's right there beside us. And we begin to look at the storm and all of a sudden we have more faith in the storm and the problem than we do in God himself. And I'm just as guilty. I've done it too. But in the middle of chaos, having faith is not about positive thoughts and it's not about uh, gathering enough belief in miracles. It's about believing in the person of Jesus Christ and his authority that what he says he can do. The authority of Jesus is the basis of our faith. Martin Luther said, faith is nothing but believing what God promises or says. Jesus said this in John 14, 1. Do, let, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So we're able to let go of fear because of Jesus. Because he is God. If we believe in God, then we believe in Jesus. And we believe that Jesus is with us in the middle of these storms and that he has the power to move us through to get us to the other side where he told us we were going to go. So that way, if you believe in Jesus in that way, you believe in his authority, then you believe he has the authority to be a healer. You believe he has the authority to bring peace and chaos. You believe he has the authority to bring uh, calm where it seems like it's not possible. When you believe in Jesus, you have to believe in his authority to do the things he says he can do. And that is how you have faith in the middle. You know, the Jew, these disciples, when they really and truly believed this, had a totally different reaction. If you fast forward a little bit, it's after Jesus' resurrection. They're standing in front of the Jewish leaders. They've been beaten. They've been threatened. But at that moment, they didn't care about the storm around them because they trusted in Jesus. And they said, we don't care what you say. We're still going to do it. And they believed that Jesus was with them and he would get them too the other side, where he wanted them to be. We're not promised a storm-free life, but that's okay because Jesus is with us. In Matthew 28, 20, it says, Jesus said, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. 
Paul promises us in Philippians 4.9, and the God of peace will be with you. Our confidence is built on the fact that Jesus, God, is with us. That's how you have faith in the middle. One scholar noted, he said that disciples of Christ are neither, and that includes us, are neither free from tribulation nor helpless in tribulation, but victorious over tribulation. Yesterday, as, as I was kind of prepping through the message, I, I was taking a break and I started scrolling through, through Facebook. I want to show you something I found. It came up in my memories. It's right up here. Three years ago on this day, April 12th, watch online. I shared that. It said watch online with me. April 12th, 8.30, and 11.30. Three years ago today, our church had an Easter like no other. None like I've ever been part of. I watched that Easter from home. I had never done that before. And I remember I wasn't even here when the service was done. And, you know, when you take yourself back to that moment, that was only a few weeks after everything in the world had shut down. We didn't, at that point, really know much of anything. In fact, most of what we heard was that all of the potential worst-case scenarios were the most likely scenarios. That's what we were being told. And we believed a lot of that, and we saw some of that happening with people we knew and loved. So we knew things were not the greatest. The storms were kind of rolling in at that point. We were separated, and we were wondering if we were going to make it to the other side. Three years ago today. And I remember this phrase that Pastor Allen kept using throughout the whole thing, throughout all of the COVID stuff we went through. He kept saying this as a staff. He kept saying it in sermons. He kept saying this phrase, the Lord is helping us. And he kept reiterating that. And, and what I loved about Pastor Allen is he never guessed when the pandemic would end. He never tried to predict what the next steps were going to be, what it was going to look like, how things were going to play out. He just kept reminding us to keep our focus on Jesus. Because when you're in the middle of the storm, He's the only one you can hold on to. This past Sunday, thousands of people showed up to this campus on Easter three years later and celebrated the name of Jesus. Hundreds of hands across this auditorium and in the art kids went up to say yes to Jesus. You see, in the moment, the storm seemed really bad. But when you kept your focus on Jesus, you were reminded he's going to bring us through to the other side. And he did. And let me tell you, that was three years ago. There's another storm coming. No idea what it is. Some of it's going to affect all of us. Some of it's some of us. I have no idea. But the one thing I do know is I can guarantee you a storm is coming into your life at some point. And when that comes, we can't, be, we can't let ourselves be shaken to the core by our emotions, but we have to say to ourselves, my trust is in Jesus. The God who could stand up in the middle of a storm and say, shut up and don't make another sound. Because that's the God I put my trust in. That's the God I have faith in because he is who I hold on to in the middle of anything. And that's how you have faith. So maybe you feel like the disciples on the boat. 
Maybe for you, those storm clouds have already rolled in. And you see the storm and you wonder, am I going to make it through? And all I'm saying tonight is, what if, for just a moment, you allow yourself to believe that everything that Jesus said he can do, he can do? What if you allow yourself to believe that he is the God who can speak to a storm and make it be still? What if you believe that Jesus actually has the authority to do the things that we read about in Scripture, the things he said he can do, the things he promised he can do, that he can speak peace into your life, healing into your heart, that he can bring things to you that no one else can? Jesus asked this question. He said, why are you so afraid? And I honestly believe he's asking that question to me right now. And I believe he's asking that question to you. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid of the storm when the God who created the wind and the water stands right beside you? Why are you afraid? And I wonder if maybe it's time for us to take Jesus at his word. See, faith is all about believing in the authority of Jesus to speak, to act, and have it happen. Everything that he said in his word, we can bank on. Because he will do what he says he can do. It doesn't matter whether it's sickness, family strife, hopelessness, grief. All of those things are storms that Jesus can walk us through. Jesus is with us. And that's what keeps us going. The Easter message last, this past Sunday... It reminds us that there is no storm that God can't bring us through because we are victorious in Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, he said, But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You're not helpless in the storm. You're victorious in the storm. Not because you're great, because you have faith in a great God. And when you have faith in a great God, you can face anything in the middle. Because you know regardless of whatever outcome happens, you're making it to the other side because Jesus is alive. And because of that, we are victorious in him. And there's no storm that Satan throws against you that can't be quieted in a moment. Let's pray. As we pray tonight, I want to give you an opportunity. Because if you've heard this message and you're like, I'm going through something, but I need help. But you don't know Jesus as your leader, as your savior. Then you're missing out on an opportunity to have his help. And here, we don't make... You have to stand up, come forward, do anything that's going to make you feel uncomfortable. What we want to do is make it easy for you to be able to become his follower. So we're going to pray a prayer in just a moment. But first, if you want to come back to the Lord or you want to accept him as your leader, as your savior and say yes to him, I'm just going to ask you to just simply raise your hand. That's all we're doing. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to do anything. We're just, just to let us know that you want to pray that prayer. Thank you. Thank you. 
We're going to pray this prayer. I'm going to ask everyone to join in because we want to build the faith of the people praying this prayer and pray it with them. So I'm just going to ask you to repeat after me. Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. And I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. And I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. And I want to pray for everyone in just a moment. Lord, I don't know what storms, what challenges people are facing that are watching online or here in this room. But I just pray that your peace and your comfort would be with them. That they would know your presence is right there beside them. That the God of the universe, the creator God, is with them. And that whatever they're going through in the middle, I just pray and ask that you give them strength to put their faith and their trust in you. So they can know that no matter what storms come their way, they are victorious in you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.